Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Girl on the Gov the Podcast where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating. The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more. By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And yes, you know, we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because politics needed a rebrand. Hi guys, welcome back to Girl on the Go the Podcast. You might be confused, like why is the blonde one speaking first? This is so strange. This is the blonde one. And you're literally in emails. We don't have names. Anyways, like I said, the blonde one, aka me, aka Sammy, asserting this because I'm forcing Maddie to play a game because we got the Let's Fucking Date cards from Serena Kerrigan. Okay, queen, legend, icon, all the things. And I've been wanting to play this game. So we're like, ah. People always ask us, like, they're like, we want to know more about you guys. I mean, I guess they have to know our names first. So that's, like, problem one. You know? I'm Sammy. This is Maddie. They know our hair colors. That's all that matters. That's it. Yeah. Honestly, thank God. Can you imagine if we were both brunette? Or both blonde? Or both gingers? Or whatever other hair color? It would be the end of us. That would be... Well, I've never dyed my hair before. And that's why I never have I ever always. So you can guarantee that I will not be coming for your hair color. Because I have to keep that claim to fame. So... That's that. Nonetheless. Are you ready, Nani? Not really, but I actually, I have some friends who played this game this weekend. I wasn't, I wasn't present for it. So I'm glad because I'm, I'm, I don't know what these questions are. So it's going to be a surprise to me. Literally the timing of that, the universe. Okay. If you were a soup, what type of soup would you be? I hate soup. I know. We both hate soup. (laughs) I would be though there is some soup. I would be pho. I love it's my I I actually like pho is one of my favorite foods. I almost I don't almost consider that a soup. You know what but I mean? it is? It is a soup, but you're right. It's basically chicken noodle soup. But, but better. Better. But yeah, I would say that's yeah. that's a fair soup to life ratio situation, if that makes any sense at all. I feel like my the one soup I like is clam chowder new england clam chowder so look i'm my personality is just like rich and vibrant and probably makes some people <laughs> sick so you know there it is <laughs> weirdly <laughs> accurate <laughs> okay what could i say um, okay right. next question what is your go-to hangover remedy actually don't know this for you at all samantha it's pho <laughs> <laughs> i'm literally not kidding it really is like the only thing i could really put down is pho. 
who knew that this was going to be such a PR moment for pho? Wow. Oh my God. Okay. Whoever is doing partnerships, hit us up info at girlinglygov.com. We'd love to chat just like for an entire food. This is going to be. Oh, and Shrek, by the way. Sorry. Keep going. Well, that's fun track. Like truly like I'm, I'm back after that. I'm so back. She's just, she's ready. She's rebounding. She's at the party. She's like going shot for shot mm-hmm. for sure. Mine is honestly, the brand of this has switched. It used to be Chipotle. Like the way like Chipotle makes certain people sick. It like will bring me back from the dead. Like nobody's business. However, like the quality yeah. just unfortunately gone down. So there's hot actually, take, I know it has, it just, they don't give you as much to a lot of times, like the meat's a little burnt, whatever. If we're going for a movie, probably Emperor's New Groove. A classic. It's a so classic. good. Yeah. Although there was this one time, this one time in college where my best friend and I played as a pregame and it was like, take a shot every time you think something's funny. That was the easiest way to black out, you know, which don't do students, humans, safe drinking, students. responsible drinking. Wait, I'm switching into one. Switching okay. stacks, shuffling cards. Currently, <laughs> name a book for the dealer. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> name a book that that mind fucked you. Verity by Colleen Hoover. Thriller. It's just creepy and weird. It's not like a mind fuck in terms of like, wow, my life's changed. I probably have an answer for that too, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. It's also one of my most recent reads. So how about okay. you? Oh, hold on. Hmm. I'm going to have to hit pass on this one. Like I've read some good books recently, but like nothing that's put my head on a swivel, you know? That's fair. Okay. Who is someone you've never met, but have impacted your life significantly? Miley Cyrus. What's yours? Um, I mean, duh. <laughs> Mine's like so nerdy. Madeline Albright. Okay. That's my like one political political answer. Okay, well, we already know like some of yours that are going to be included in this. Name three celebrities you would quarantine with and why. Actually, I know all three of your songs. Can anyone guess? Hold on. Excuse me. Pause for the audience. Can you I just want one. I just want one. I don't want okay. three. I just want one person. Well, that's Jack Harlow. Just Can you add him. some friends in here? No, I I just want I just want him and I time. We need time alone. That's fair. Okay. That's yours. Probably. What the hell is his name? He's the hot guy in the Walter Boys show that I've been like not mm. shutting up about. The blonde guy, Noah Lalonde. Just, just him. Yeah. Well, I mean. Or Chase Stokes also. But I, like, love him and Kelsey Ballerini together. So, like, I would not want to be bopping. Maybe you could do you could do them, too. Oh, and they would just be the a guy for you, and it would be a double date. There we go. Problem solved. Because if that solved. was the case, I would also choose Haley and Justin Bieber, I think. And then we double date quarantine. This makes so much sense. Yes. Okay. okay. Problem solved. Last one. This is a fill in the blank. Okay. Blank does not fuck. Blank does not fuck. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they suck. Let's be real. 
Is this a person or it really could be anything? Either way. What about a political personality? There's so many political personalities who do not fuck. Do you have yours? Elon Musk. Elon Musk does not fuck. And people think he fucks, but he doesn't. I honestly, there's just no way that he's having sex with someone. He's doing some well, weird he is, but he's having experiment. like weird, weird. He's doing weird shit. Weird shit. Candace Owens does not fuck. You know, but, there's just like, and she claims to have this like perfect marriage, yada, yada. Okay. No. Well, first of all, as we know, the people that claim to have the perfect marriages and like make all the fuss about that, like absolutely don't. Second to that, and as further validated by our girl, Hannah Burner, like the longer the caption on an Instagram picture, the more you post with significant other, the worse the relationship. The more you like have to talk about the relationship, again, the worse the relationship. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Yeah, and when she needs like a toxically masculine man in her life, like girl. No. No. <laughs> Well, thank you, Serena Kerrigan, for our little intro today. You guys should go get the Let's Fucking Date. Yeah. There's parts. a few different variations on a theme. That's the one that, like, first of all, is, like, super fun. They're actually obviously. great questions for a date. And that's always something that I – anytime I have date anxiety, it's because I'm like, what if I run out of things to talk about? And not that you need this, like, stack of cards in your pocket on a date. But, like, <laughs> I'm going to remember some of these. I'm going to be like – What's your go-to hangover remedy? Like, just like a good, maybe like silence filler if you need it. I love this. Wait, that's actually such a good one if you're like out to drinks and there's like an awkward silence. Like, it's very topical, you know? Like, you can like connect the dots on that one. Yeah. You can like maybe study them a little bit before you go to a date if you like want a few just in your your brain in the back just in case you need something. I love that. And that's something I definitely appreciate. So that's that on that. I feel as though that leads us into our episode today because we have a guest that we have to get to. So we have the CEO of The New Deal, Debbie Cox Bolton, on the show today. You guys might remember The New Deal from some of our social content last year and also from honestly, like so many conversations we've had about them and all of the work that they do. And all the legislators that are a part of the New Deal. Yes, we love the New Deal and we love the New Dealers and we talk all about them. But we also talk a lot about good governance. And I think that's just an important thing to remember as we are in an election year and everyone's going to be bombarded by political ads everywhere they go. It's going to be campaigns on campaigns and slogans and all the talking points. And it's important to just kind of ground ourselves in good governance because there's been a lot on every level of government and the new deal definitely does an amazing job at like giving us good governance with these amazing leaders so we get into that totally it's like all the ideas and how people work together and sharing ideas most importantly like something worked in minnesota it's like reps that are talking about like what worked in Minnesota and sharing that with like a rep in New Mexico, like actually making sure that like an idea doesn't just like die in one state or one state ledge or local municipality. Let's get into this episode. Without further ado, here is Debbie. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, 
which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We've got to get into it. For those that don't know, maybe didn't attend the conference like we did last year, what is the new deal? What do you guys do? And you know, what's the mission? Yeah, well, we loved having you. Thanks for being with us. So the New Deal is a national network of state and local elected officials who are below the level of governor, who we go out and find uh, people who we just think are exceptional, people who are mayors or state legislators, uh, statewide office holders, even down to school board members and city council members, people who are doing really amazing things where they live in their communities and having an impact. And we we think about the fact that these folks, you know, need the support. It's, you know, a lot of people think about elections, think about you just elect the right people and then it all goes great and that's all you need. But really these people need support. They need a network of people that they can bounce ideas off of, find ideas off of, a home, you know, to to be able to learn from and to, you know, to to get that kind of inspiration they need. So we think of ourselves as really a home for exceptional elected officials. The people that we work with are particularly pragmatic and problem solvers. They're looking to build consensus, not really be big flamethrowers. And we're looking for people who are rising up the ranks of public service, people who want to stay involved in politics for a long time. So we've had a pretty good track record. You got to meet some of the people at our conference of folks who are just doing just that. So we're very honored to count among our alumni, people like Secretary Pete and new Governor Josh Shapiro, Stacey Abrams, um, you know, a whole host of folks. We keep the group uh, pretty small so they can really um, learn from each other and we can support them in the ways that they need. Uh, but what's kind of unique about us is that we are really selective about who we invite to join New Deal. And then we work really primarily only on the governing side of things. We do not do elections or campaigns. We really try to support them as they govern where they live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've had a couple of them on the show, which has been amazing. And our audience has got to hear from them, which was which was great. But what does it mean to be a New Deal leader? Like what does that really look like? What's the yeah. what's the criteria? Yeah. So the again the criteria is really as I outlined the, you know, are, what are they focused on? Are they focused on problem solving, trying to make a difference in their communities, or are they, you know, more about kind of politics and spin? And so we're really looking for people who are who are problem solvers in their communities below the level of governor. So, and there's 200 of them from across the country. They're from red, blue, and purple states. And once you're chosen as a New Deal leader and you're invited to join New Deal, we provide a number of things for our leaders. So there's the convenings, like you guys came to, where we do a lot of idea sharing. We focus on things that are working out around the country. We compile those so people can steal ideas that might be working in one community and then try to take it to another. We also offer uh, things like um, leadership development. We have a fantastic communications uh, coach who helps our leaders um, communicate authentically and a number of other things that we do to try to help them. Again, they're already fantastic. I mean, we're so selective about who we invite to join and we get nominations from all kinds of places. And we do two new classes a year, fall and spring, and bring on about 20 New Deal leaders, new New Deal leaders at a time. And so so we, once they're in, you know, they're really like family to us. And so we're working to help them govern where they are, if they're a mayor, if they're a state legislator, but also think about how to help them grow in their career as well as they rise up those ranks to the members of Congress or to governors or to other places. Totally, which is amazing because being an elected office, while obviously we have so many elected positions out there, it is a really unique job. Like, I don't think you can necessarily 
go and text your normal group chat after you know, being elected mayor or state ledge, you know, whatever your role is and be like, so this was my day. This was the norm. Like, what do you guys think of this? Like, not that you can't do that, but having people respond and actually have ideas and feedback or solutions obviously is a game changer. And we know that there's so much collaboration amongst the leaders that you guys have. And so I'm curious how that works. You know, like, how do people come together? What ideas are they sharing? And how are they sharing them as well? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for that question. And before I get into that, I, I want to say something to the first point you made. I, I just really want to underscore that. And particularly the, the point you made about it's kind of a unique position to be in. It's also a really hard position to be in right now. It is hard to be an elected official. I don't think people think about that very often. People think like, you know, there's such a politicians get such a bad rap and it's like, you know, they're all in it for this or that, or the, you know, I find it kind of funny, the fame or the money, which is really, there's maybe a little bit of fame, but you know, I mean, not if you're like a school board member, right. You know, it's really, these people are people who kind of do this because they want to make a difference, who are, sacrifice a lot. You know, I, I love talking to our mayors who talk about being in the grocery store line and they can't go to the grocery store without everybody in line having something on their mind that they want to talk to them about. And they love it. I mean, they love it, but you know, but it's been such a, I've been doing this now for almost 30 years or maybe even more than 30 years. And it's been, it's so much harder to do this now than when I first started. You guys know this, but the vitriol in politics, the, you know, we've had leaders among our network who have, you know, had death threats because of the mass mandates they put in a place like in Wichita, Kansas. You know, this, it's, it's a really, really hard time to be an elected. So I don't want to gloss over that because people kind yeah. of forget that and to, and to just say that, you know, part of our job, we are really about ideas and about leaders and that we've been doing this for 14 years. It's been a long time. But I think increasingly, we're also about giving these places, folks a home to get recharged, to go back out and do it again, because it's, you know, you get burned out with all of that all the time when it's hard and people are yelling at you all the time. And, you know, it's so anyway, I just kind of want, I appreciated you flagging that. And I wanted to um, pull that thread for a second. But I think you asked me about how they share ideas and what we do. So there's a couple different ways we do that. We obviously do our big convenings, which you guys were able to come to one in Washington, DC in the fall and another one around the country in the spring. And that's a great place where we bring dozens and dozens of leaders together to share ideas. And then we also have through our New Deal Forum, uh, a number of working groups that work throughout the year on a variety of issues. So right now we have working groups on, on democracy, which I'd love to dive into on education, on climate, on broadband, where leaders run those groups, some of our leaders, and they come together to bring best ideas that are happening in one community and and put them together and see if other people want to do them. So we've had um, just at our conference this last time, we did a, a, um, a panel I really loved on climate, obviously a huge issue around the country. How are we going to deal with climate change, resiliency, these extreme weather events? Uh, and as you guys probably know, and your listeners, I know you know, and your listeners probably know, there's been so many amazing things that the federal government has done actually in the last couple of years to pass these big bills with lots of funding attached to them to invest in America. And a lot of that money went directly to state and local leaders. So we're working with those leaders to think about best uses for those funds. So things like through the um, American Rescue Plan that was aimed at trying to help us recover from COVID or the bipartisan infrastructure law, which is sending tons of money to do things like transit and other things and the Inflation Reduction Act, which worked with climate. So, so with all that money coming to states and localities, it's really fun to see and to help our leaders think about what some people are doing and, and that can be done other places. We have this panel on uh, some of the lesser known ways you can fight climate change. So a lot of people are talking about the big ticket items like 
electric vehicles and upgrading grids. And, you know, these things are really big and expensive. Um, but, you know, we had people talking about how to plant more trees in their community so that you can, you know, both get the shade and the oxygen and then, you know, and the carbon dioxide. And so, or how to, you know, give grants to places in their community that are doing good work with with students or or service projects where where people can come in and help on climate projects or build things. So I, you know, it's just fun to watch the leaders learn from each other. I always joke that we we usually give notepads out at our conference because everyone says that they come home with with a notebook full of ideas that they just hand to their staff and say, hey, these are the things I want to implement. So we love being that source and that place where people can find find good ideas. Maybe give you one yeah. example because it's just fun, but we have a, you know, even a, a small idea, but we did something a few years ago on um, something called a renter's choice, which was this idea that deposits for apartments is actually a barrier for some people getting into homes. And so totally. there's this alternate idea where you can do insurance and you pay a little bit less, but you pay, you pay it, you pay more, you pay it over time. So that's not this big outlay at the front. And, you know, one person had been doing this in Cincinnati and, and we, we had it presented at the conference and all of a sudden people in Atlanta and people in Virginia and people in Maryland were all of a sudden picking up that idea and doing it. And so that's just another, you know, example of mm-hmm. a really discreet kind of idea like that. But, you know, once you hear it, you're like, hey, that's, that's something that would work in our, in our community and we're going to take that home and do it. So it's really um, a blessing and, and great fun to be part of that uh, spreading of those ideas. Yeah, totally. That's definitely something that stood out to me at the conference we went to at the end of 2022. I think there's a lot of conversation about how to implement a lot of IRA funds. And I thought that was just so interesting to see that collaboration in real time of, you know, all these elected leaders across the country who are local, but like still can work together to implement this like federal funding and these resources that then get trickled into communities. I think that's just like an important piece to hammer home, not only for well, really for like voters too to understand that like these big federal pieces of legislation, like they do come to you and they do come to these local leaders who can then hopefully implement it in real life. So I thought that was really, really cool to see. Can I give you another example that I thank you for that? And can I give yeah. you what I just loved actually I've been thinking of this now because it's 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 so heartwarming. So we, as I mentioned, have these working groups and we one of them is on democracy, which is so important right now. And and how can state and local leaders make sure that people's um, votes are going to count, that the whole places are protected, all those things. And so we were doing a, a meeting mid last year, I guess. And one of our co-chairs of that group is a woman named Sandra Harigi from Nevada, assemblywoman. And she got on and, and we were, she was giving some opening remarks and she said, hey, by the way, Jay Chaudhry in North Carolina, who's a state senator, I wanted to thank you because last time we got together, we were on this call and you were talking about this bill that you had introduced to protect poll workers in North Carolina. I know it didn't pass in your state and I'm sorry, but I want you to know that I took it and I put it in our bill. And now because of you, Nevada poll workers are going to be protected this election cycle. And so that, that's that. kind of, you know, just um, example of like watching in real time, these kind of ways to share good ideas and you know and maybe you're in a red state where you're gonna have a harder time passing something but it's a great idea Mm -hmm. so or maybe maybe somebody from a red state is hey says hey i know we've got somebody in in on the democracy front in arkansas that's had limited success working with republicans on some absentee ballot things which has been really hard for people in some red states but you know he's found a way to work with some of his republican colleagues so to get that advice from somebody in a different red state when you're trying to do it in your state i think it's really yeah important element of, of, you know, how you could be successful. Yeah, totally. totally. And I'm it's sure like, it can be like hopeless as a, as a Democrat in a red state yes, sometimes. Yes. So to be able to have that 
camaraderie is nice. Exactly. And also see your idea go somewhere, like just because it didn't work in your state because of the, you know, elected environment doesn't mean it can't work somewhere else or, you know, create progress progress elsewhere. So I think that's also like an important lesson of what you guys do. It's like just because it didn't work somewhere doesn't mean it can't work elsewhere and continuing the lifespan of an idea and like making sure it actually goes somewhere. But I'm super curious with all this collaboration, who some of the pairs are, like who are like some of the elected officials amongst the New Deal leaders that just absolutely are forces of nature together, whether expected or not, like who are those duos, trios, whatever? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, one of the things we do, as I mentioned on these working groups is bring leaders together who, you know, then work together and it's super fun to watch. So, you know, I I guess I would flag a couple of our groups that have co-chairs that are doing amazing things. So we just announced the new co-chairs of our climate working group, for example. So that is a really phenomenal young mayor that if people don't know, they will know. His name's Philip Jones out of Newport um, News, Virginia. And he's been paired with a state senator in New Hampshire, who's phenomenal, Rebecca Quoka, uh, and a state senator in uh, California, uh, Ben Allen. So to watch the three of them get together and think about what will work in Virginia and California and New Hampshire, or, you know, they're all three in their own right, amazing folks. Obviously, also our democracy working group, we've had the great fortune to watch the secretaries of states come together in this incredibly important time for our democracy. So I love working with our co-chairs of our democracy working group that include Jocelyn Benson, the the Secretary of State of Michigan, who is just a force of nature, to use your words, and Adrian Fontes in in Arizona, who's just so amazing, right? Adrian was the Maricopa County recorder during the 2020 election. So when all the craziness was happening, he was right on the ground in Arizona, ground zero for all the votes, you know, shenanigans. And and one of my favorite stories about Adrian is that he lost that race that year. And so all of the things about, hey, there's a Democratic recorder being doing funny stuff with the elections and, you know, not being, not being truthful about what's happening. You know, it's like, if he was going to, you know, throw an election, I think he would throw his own election. Right. So I always thought that that was mm-hmm. hilarious, but you know, he turned around and came from that and did such a good job administering that election in such a tough time. He then turned around and beat an election denier in a secretary of state race statewide in Arizona in 2022. So, so it's, you know, it's fun to watch the secretary of states come together because they're also doing such important work right now in, in protecting our democracy. And so they've been paired with a couple others, a county official, people forget about how, what an important role counties play in our elections. So with Ken Lawrence from Pennsylvania and with uh, Sandra, who you have mentioned in Nevada. So, but you know, there's so many phenomenal New Deal leaders who are doing amazing things. And it's it's not just the for us, it's of course not just the, the co-chairs of our working groups. It's it's finding things that we can promote from all of our 200 leaders across the country. Yeah. And one thing we love here at Girl on the Gov is like a group, a group chat and especially amongst different elect leaders across the country. So we've talked about some attorneys general little group chats, some governors group chats. So we love to see that just play out in real life. Yeah. And it's not, you know, and one of the things, other things that about New Deal is interesting is that, you know, a lot, there are a lot of groups that exist for just for attorneys generals or just for mm-hmm. legislators. And we, we hear a lot from our leaders, how much they appreciate that it's, you know, that we pull people who are kind of like-minded from all different levels of government. We've heard, excuse me, from some of our um, leaders who are looking to run for higher office, for example, getting to know maybe someone's a city councilwoman, I'm thinking of someone specific, you know, who wanted to run for mayor in her, in her, in her town, you know, her getting to know the mayors 
of some big town mm-hmm. who were able to help mentor her and have her say, Hey, I think that, you know, I think I can do this in my town. I'm going to go, I'm going to go back and run for mayor. And so, you know, had we not had that kind of cross pollination of different levels of government, I don't know if that piece of new deal would work as well. So I really enjoy seeing that kind of um, mentorship from some of the more seasoned, maybe big city mayors for, you know, with city council members or people who are in the legislature looking to run for higher statewide office or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's exciting to see. That is. I love that. Well, looking at 2023, we want to kind of reflect a little bit and just kind of hear like what some of the big wins for New Deal leaders were in 2023. Yeah. Well, thanks for that question. It was a big, it was a big year and it's going into a bigger year this year, potentially. Right. I think I'd flag a couple things that we were super proud of at New Deal that, that we did and that, that we engaged all of our leaders in. So Two big things we did last year. One was we, I've been talking a lot about our democracy work, but it's just, I don't think there's anything more important right now, frankly. And so we released with the help of our working group and our secretary of state. So I've mentioned a democracy playbook last February that had 40 ideas for what state and local leaders can do on the ground to protect the vote, to expand access to voting, to protect poll workers, to increase civic engagement over the long haul with some timelines even for what you should be thinking about two years out, you know, what you should think about one year out. I think people don't recognize that like election administration is a year round thing and it's not something that just happens. It takes a bazillion people. And of course, we're all very aware of the, you know, the the forces that are trying to really disrupt our election system. And um, and so it's it's super important that we are diligent and thinking about this all the time. And so, so that's been exciting to see. And we've been, we've actually been tracking some of the ideas that were in the playbook and watching them spread into places like Michigan and New Mexico, who are now doing comprehensive voting rights. Um, and so that's been, that's been a, a super um, important and and rewarding thing that we've done that we did this year. Um, the other big thing I would flag is that at the end of the year, we released a freedom agenda with our co- cohorts, I'll call them, in the New Democrat Coalition. That's a group of 100 pro-growth, pragmatic members of Congress in the House of Representatives who are kind of our ideological brethren, if you will. And so we mm-hmm. do a lot of work with them. And we we released in November around our last conference this freedom agenda, which I'm super excited about, and we'll be talking a lot about this coming year. And it really talks about the need for Democrats to continue to reclaim the, the, the mantle of freedom. And that that is something it's so it's really underpinning, isn't it? Kind of all of the stuff that's happening right now with, with, you know, we're fighting against this extreme, you know, group of people who are looking to kind of tear things down and take people's freedoms away, whether it's, you know, people think about freedom and, and think specifically about choice and about, you know, healthcare and, and, and that's super important, but also so is the freedom to be safe in your communities with, with things like common sense gun, you know, gun laws, things like having freedom to pursue your American dream because you have access to good education and good jobs. And so we put together a, a whole, um, freedom agenda that that had a lot of very specific examples of some things that were both working in Congress and that are working around the country. And we're going to be talking about that all year this year and encouraging not only New Deal leaders, but really all um, folks to be um, thinking about the freedom frame as they talk about, about what they're doing and why Democrats should be uh, elected next November. 
Yeah. And looking to this year, which we've been saying, oh my gosh, looking to 2024 for what feels like forever. So now to actually say mm-hmm. like looking to this year that we're literally in yes. feels like a total mind meld. But nonetheless, here we are living through it. Four New Deal leaders talking about democracy, you know, talking about all these different issues. Like, what does that look like in practice? You know, what does that look like on, you know, the campaign trail for them and or to, you know, just meeting with constituents? Yeah. Well, again, I think that what we're going to be talking to them is about a couple of things. One is I, I think that Democrats have a really great story to tell up and down the ballot right now. We are the the, the, the party that is delivering results. Democrats deliver, you know, and again, contrasted with a a party that is really incapable or or unwilling or uninterested in governing. I mean, we're seeing it at the national level for sure. Yeah. You know, not not unlike what's happening at the state and local level where, you know, we've got people who are just, you know, talking about book banning and talking about, you know, all of these things that are so such an anathema to to American values, whereas Democrats have been focused on things like implementing the stuff we were talking about earlier. How are we going to you know, build a more affordable housing? How are we going to close the learning gap that came out of COVID? How are we going to create new jobs and keep small businesses afloat? And so I think there's a real story to tell about Democrats doing well and Democrats focusing on the things that most most Americans care about. I think in this day and age with the media the way it is and the, you know, just the vast amount of information and the, the fact that you can go to this, you know, we know this, but the fact you can go to, you know, the, the stations you want to hear what you want to hear or worse that you can, you're going to hear disinformation and misinformation. So I think it's really important. One of the things we're telling our leaders and, and we're seeing our leaders do successfully is, is to keep hammering on the things that are working and to draw that distinction because, you know, so many people don't, aren't even aware. And just to use a, a national example, I saw a poll that was, you know, surprising to me back uh, last year, but that like only 24% of people even knew that the bipartisan bipartisan infrastructure law had even passed. Right. And so, you know, that's just a reminder to all of us that, you know, we think we said it once, oh yeah, I did this great thing in my community. Don't forget that we built, rebuilt the bridge or whatever it was, you know, maybe they weren't listening that day. Maybe they didn't hear it. Like you've just got to say it over and over and over again. And I think that it's, it's always important to do that, but it's super important to, to do it specifically when the contrast is, a party that is really focused only on extremism, focused on dividing us, not bringing people together. And so I think that that's that's a super important piece of what we're telling our leaders and that we're going to be looking for our leaders to do. I think there's one other thing I I might mention in that question, which is also to not to 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 not give up on people, right? Also to, to, to meet people where they are and to be willing to talk to people who don't always agree with you. So, you know, I find, I think that in this, this day and age with really polarized politics, it's easy when someone doesn't agree with you, say they spout a Fox talking point, right. And they say, you know, something about the election being, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure why, how, how am I supposed to know if my ballot is secure or not? We can hear that as Democrats and say, oh, you're just one of those people. I'm never going to get you, you know, you're, you're off with the crazy people. But there, I think there are, there are, there, and there are some people who we're never going to get. I think there are some people who really are hearing a lot of things and having legitimate questions. So I think as Democrats, we need to be willing to answer some of those questions and to say, hey, actually on the ballot question, for example, you know, let me walk you through what does happen to your ballot. It's a fair question. I'm not going to take your question to automatically mean that you think that all, you know, that elections are rigged and that Democrats are doing it or, you know, or take another example, like, uh, you know, maybe what's happening on critical race theory, right? That everyone will be aware of this real 
crazy conversation we're having at the state, you know, at, at about schools and what and what we can teach in schools. You know, there are some people who are we're never going to get who think that, you know, we shouldn't teach slavery in schools, or whatever the crazy stuff is happening in Florida. But, you know, there's also people who are hearing this conversation saying, what is parents role in education? What 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 is what does that mean? What how much say should I have? And they might not be saying it the way I just said it, but that's what is behind their question. And so we should, I think we need to listen for that. We need to listen for people who like are asking legitimate questions, even, you know, critically and, and answer those in the hopes that we can bring them over and not just dismiss them because they're, we think they're, oh, they're on the other side and we're not, we can never get them. You know what I mean? Totally. totally. Yeah. No, I have one of my best friends. She's, she's coming around to being political. I've been lobbying for years. The whole thing. She's finally registered to vote, like literally praise be God. Like I, can't. But regardless, she comes from a more conservative background. I think she's sort of changing her tune as she's learning more. But one of the things that she'll, you know, chat with me about, she'll raise a question. She'll literally be like, why don't we have a solution for XYZ thing? And then I will literally send her the website that exists and the program that exists. I'm like, it does. And this is how it works. And there's just such a dearth of understanding of how government works, but also what programs are out there and how things come together. And so that learning gap also exists, obviously, with our government and who we elect and all these different things. And so I think your point is just so valid. It's like actually not dismissing the questions. It's answering them or having a conversation, using it as a tipping point. Because if that person has a question that you're chatting with, I can only imagine, you know, how many other people have that question? Like, I'm having that conversation because I have that relationship with that person. So they're asking me. And I was like the political friend in the friend group. But like, Obviously, there's other people out there that maybe they don't even have a political friend to ask that question to. So bringing them into the fold and actually having that conversation, especially for elected leaders, I think is so important. Like we have this thing here, like our, you know, founding segment is like, I have a stupid question, but and there just isn't a stupid question. And sometimes asking those questions actually creates more solutions that maybe you wouldn't have even thought of. Like it's putting a spotlight on an angle that you're you're blind to. Yeah, it's just so hard too with with just the cloudiness of the media and the narratives that are out there. And it, it makes sense that people think what they do. It's hard to cut through the noise. And so I think it is so important to focus on governance. And like, I think that's why what you guys do is so important because yeah, poll after poll, it's like people don't like say like, don't like Biden, but then learn about all the accomplishments. And they're like, oh, I, I get it. Like I'm on board. I think I would vote for him. So there's just such a disconnect. And it's fair, again, given the like political environment we're living in, and especially with all these narratives out there that are, you can't see the actual accomplishments and legislation and governing that's actually helping people's lives. So I think that's so important. And all of your points, so valid. I love it. Yeah, well, and I'll, and I'll make one more. I appreciate that. And, I, and I'll say that the other thing that I love what you guys do, um, and I'm so grateful that you are helping a whole generation of people kind of understand and meet some of you know people who are in politics and demystifying it and having that space. And I think that's so important. And I, and I would say it's, it's, we talked about disinformation for a minute there, but it's also, this is really a 30 year, maybe more, you know, deliberateness that has happened where people mm-hmm. are talking about government being the enemy and government being the problem. So this is not like 
a you know fluke that we're in this space we, where we are, where there are these big disconnects or people. I mean, so it's possible that the only messages people have ever heard about government is the government, you know, is is incompetent. People who work in government are terrible, right? Why can't government be more like business? There's all these things that people have heard over their lives. And so I think it's super important that we, as people who believe that government has a role to play, government can't solve every problem. I'm a, you know, I'm a moderate Democrat. I don't think the government's the answer to everything, but government is important in a country this big and this complex. Like we have to have a federal government that is working well, that is providing a safety net, that is, you know, doing all these things that only that entity can do. And we have to have, if we have no faith in that, if we have no faith in that government, there's no, you know, it's not surprising to me that we're having a crisis in democracy. So those two Mm. things in my mind are linked. And so to the extent that we all have to now explain to people why, you know, what government does, what, how government can solve problems, what elected officials do and why it's important. It's a really important job right now. So I'm grateful for the role that you guys are playing in that as well. Thanks. We appreciate that. Of course, (laughs) we love a a sound endorsement nonetheless, but of course, yeah. But thinking about also, of course, candidates individually, like, Mm -hmm. or their candidates or I guess incumbents, shall we say, that people need to know about, they need to focus on, need to help uplift. Like if there's anyone like the New Deal space, who would you put the, what is the word that I'm looking for? Not the megaphone to, like the microscope? (laughs) We'll do my microscope and a megaphone. I mean, I will say one of the um, things that we, that New Deal really loves to do, and I think is one of the reasons we were founded was you know, yes, to help these leaders where they live, as I've already talked about a lot, and, you know, to help them have that ecosystem around them that can help them govern effectively where they are now. And as they, as they personally rise up the ranks, but the other thing is to also flip that and to give a, to give a megaphone um, to the leaders who we, who we select to be part of New Deal, because we think that they have something to teach national Democrats, right? These are people who have been successful in their communities. Sometimes in, you know, we've got a mayor that I absolutely love in, you know, Canton, North Carolina, a very red, little town in uh, the mountains of of North Carolina. And he's been successful as a Democrat. And it's like, what can we learn from him? What what should national yeah. Democrats take from him? Or we had a, you know, a New Deal leader who was a state legislator from Coal Country, Kentucky, that Chris Harris that won uh, his district when Trump won it by 80 points. And it was like, how were you able to win that district, you know, when other people couldn't? And so, so that megaphone is important to us. But as I look at or ahead, well, maybe I would you know, one of the fun things for me is to watch these leaders rise. And so, you know, we've had success. A lot of new leaders had success over the last couple of years. So it was fun, for example, to watch Josh Shapiro get elected to governor, you know, as I mentioned, some of those secretaries of state positions that are so important. So as we look ahead to 2024, we again have a good number of new deal leaders who are, who are running for governor. So that's, that's um, wonderful. Josh Stein in North Carolina, Matt Meyer in Delaware, Joyce Joyce Craig in New Hampshire. Uh, I think there'll be a couple others that probably jump in. We have a lot of folks running for the, the U.S. House, which is so important right now. We've got to take back the House, I think, to, you know, really, if we're going to care about democracy, that's going to be a really important checks and balance. So excited about all of our people like Janelle Bynum and Sarah Elfrith and Sarah McBride in Delaware would be the first, I think, trans member. So, you know, an amazing, amazing group of, of leaders who are who are running for Congress. And then also, again, those, those, I, I'm going to keep my eye on other, other elected offices that are super important right now. So I keep bringing up secretaries of states. I can't mm-hmm. say secretary of states right now. I mean, if Brett, you know, to give a shout out to a Republican who deserves it. I mean, if Brad Raffenberger had not been secretary of state in, in, you know, in, in Georgia, I don't know what would have happened. So the, the yeah, yeah. 
having people who are, you know, at the front lines of the democracy is so important. So that's a, a race that we'll be keeping. Those are races we'll be keeping our eyes on, but also places like local elected, uh, local uh, elections offices. So county clerk recorders across the country. We have a number of them, a really fantastic woman, Amanda Gonzalez, and uh, outs in the Denver area, who's phenomenal, a first time Latina in that role, young woman. I love her. A good friend of mine is running for secretary of state in Oregon, Tobias Reed, very excited about his race. And then and even down, yeah, you, I think Tobias has been on your show, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, we love Tobias. He's, he, I'm so behind him in his race for Secretary of State. And then, and then also some people who are running for school board and, 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 or, or staying on school boards, which is again, we've talked about that's another like, it feels like battleground area, you know, where, where some of these crazy conversations are playing out. And so to have people who are sane and strong, who are going to promote things like, you know, good quality teachers and focusing on learning loss and not the cultural culture issues is really important. Yeah. Yeah. School board. Highlighting all of them. God, like what, like in things that I couldn't have predicted that we would be zeroing in on school board across the country. Yeah. Wild times for sure. I know it's crazy. Yeah. and it's so important that, I mean, and and so, you know, we actually work with a, I'll shout out a partner group, but I'm not going to get their name wrong. There's school board partners, I think is what their name is, but they're a group of, of they're a little bit like us, but they only work with school board members. So New Deal has school okay. board members as part of New Deal, uh, some of our 200, but they work only with school board members to do a little bit what we do, share ideas, provide that platform for learning to support each other. And it's like, I think like who would have thought how important that was going to be, you know, in today's world when they are really on the front lines, right? And I I mean, I'm seeing these really, I'm sure you're seeing the same thing, but these crazy numbers about how many school board members are going to resign, how many elections clerks are resigning, because it's just too much. And so, I mean, that is a problem for our functioning democracy if we can't get people to run and stay in these offices. So we like have to do all, I mean, I, to your point, I'm going to, she won't listen, but I have a a high school friend who I know, (laughs) you know, I'm not big date myself, but I see on Facebook, but you know, where she, she's like the most lovely human, but she often writes these really like when something, when something gets posted about something political, she'll write these really knee jerk kind of vitriolic things about like, you know, how bad a person must be because they're in politics. And I, you know, and, and, and mm-hmm. other, you know, in the rest of her life, as far as I could tell, she's really lovely and really like focused on caring about other people. And I'm kind of like, what makes politicians in your mind, like, okay, to like take down as human beings, right? Like where, why yeah. where to that place where you think it's completely consistent to talk about love and joy and rainbows most of the time. And then when someone yeah. talks about a gov- your governor, you don't like, you like, you know, spew all this stuff. I'm like, that is a totally yeah. So I, we have such a nasty media environment, you know, that just like pushes out all the toxicity that politics can be and is in some places, but there is so much good happening out there. And there are so many good governors, not just state governors, but just people who govern. And I think highlighting all of those people is is so important. It's going to be so important this year just to like restore faith in people in government as the vehicle to actually like help people's lives. And I think that's why I work in politics and government because I believe it is the best vehicle, but it's, it is hard when you talk to people on the ground and they're so frustrated and think it's so nasty and dark and it's just, it's not the full picture. And so I think it really is our job to highlight all the good that is happening because there is a lot, but thank you so much for coming on. This has been amazing. We love New Deal. We love talking about New Deal. 
we love all the leaders and we need to have some more on because we love those episodes as well. So thank you. I know we can, I can do to help on that front. We're happy to do that. And, and again, just a huge thank you to you guys for the work that you do. I'm a big fan of both of you and of your show. And I'm excited to work with you guys going forward as well. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.